Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research and broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated. Welcome to the Journey Mindset Podcast. My name is Sean Ulrich, and I'm a financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri. And I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Ron Shear. And Ron is a former financial advisor with a wealth of knowledge on all things investing, so we are lucky to have him today. And Ron, our topic for this week is going to be referencing a soccer analogy, and we can even say hockey if we'd like. There's similar positions between the two sports. Sure. But what is your earliest memory of the sport of soccer, and what role has it played on your life? You know what? I, I have only been a uh, – I've never really been a, an active participant in soccer. I like <laughs> soccer. It's a game that, that uh, you know what, you have to have individual strength and endurance. You have to play as, as a team. But as an individual, you have to be in incredibly good shape because there's, uh, you know, I mean, you're nonstop running. But uh, only as a spectator, I've watched, uh, I've watched uh, my youngest daughter, who was a pretty darn good soccer player. In fact, she, uh, she scored a number of goals and played soccer a number of years. And then the two boys, uh, they, they were so-so with, uh, with soccer, but it was mostly golf. But I, I love the sport for the simple reason that it is always moving. There's always yeah. some activity on the field. I like that. And I've seen one of the huge, you know, biggest, most passionate fan bases out of soccer. I mean, I still think internationally or globally, it's the number one most viewed sport. It is, you know. And Sean, it's uh, it, we're so fortunate in that St. Louis has such a, you know, our neighbor, big city next door, has such a rich history in soccer. I mean, yeah. it truly does. Uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful thing, and I'm so happy to see that professional soccer is coming to St. Louis. I think it's great for the city. Absolutely. And I'll say between like first and third grade, there's a, a pretty large concentration of Bosnian. There's mm -hmm. a big Bosnian sure. population in right. St. Louis. And my best friend as a kid, he ended up becoming a professional soccer player. Uh, and his family was from Bosnia. It was a cool memory, soccer ties. And Anheuser-Busch actually has a club team. It's just mm -hmm. called Bush Soccer. I have no idea what the dynamic is like now because it was so long ago, but it was a fun team to play for. Right. And then like just what you mentioned, St. Louis City SC is coming to uh, St. Louis. They're building a soccer stadium. They're adding more to that downtown area. And uh, it's just going to be a unique and fun environment to hopefully go down and be around to add on to what we already have with the Cardinals and what we already have with the Blues. Right. Uh, I got to say in bad news, though, that U.S. soccer, the United States soccer team, failed to qualify for their third straight Olympics. Yeah, so we right. got to figure that out, man. Yeah, we have to figure that out. We got to get that rolling. But it, uh, it is still a, a fun sport, and I'm looking forward, at, I'm looking forward to uh, professional soccer coming to the city of uh, St. Louis. And our topic for this week is going to be an investing approach that looks at investments like they are soccer players. Or if we want to talk ho hockey, we can maybe look at these positions in a similar light. 
Uh, but this is one investing approach that people can consider taking in 2021. And another interesting little side note, too, is that the number two, the number three, and the number four highest paid athletes in the world are all soccer players. Sure. And number one is uh, Roger Federer, the, uh, the tennis, tennis athlete. Player, yeah. And we're going to talk about three different investment categories that we can place investments into that we're considering in 2021. And the inspiration for the show comes from the longtime portfolio manager, Todd Alston of Parnassus Investments, who breaks down some of the key factors that he is looking for as we try to navigate this economy. And he actually makes this analogy as a soccer player and puts these people into three different types of categories. Number one is forwards, number two is midfielders, and number three is defensemen. And I do think it's important before I get into Alston's explanation of these investments that he's looking at, that we mention that everybody's investment strategy is different and that this is just one man's approach and that everybody's just going to cater more towards their individual situation. Right. So with that being said, let's dive into Alston's investment philosophy heading into this year. Rob Al or uh, Alston paints the picture that the investment breakdown of what he's looking at for this year looks a little bit like this. 20% of his portfolio is playing offense with his goal of trying to get 20% returns from that group. That's his goal. Number two is that 20% of his portfolio is playing defense, aiming to get right around 8% returns. And number three is that roughly 60% of his portfolio he places into a category of what he calls midfielders, where he is hoping to get right around 12% returns on the year. So, Ron, do you want to... Yeah, exactly. Do you want to throw out any guess as to what Alston might categorize as midfielders? Well, I I just wouldn't have a clue. I, 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 uh, <laughs> it know, is an interesting thing to think about. That's a very interesting yeah. concept. Yeah. And now, you know, I thought this was a cool way to look, but in Alston's words, he is looking for companies that have a blend of both offense and defense in a, in a melded pot of volatility. And it made me think of a center in hockey as well, too, mm -hmm. because I think they got to be on the attack and they also got to be able to get yeah, back sure. and, and prevent some goals. So as I first heard Alston talk about this, I thought it was an interesting rabbit hole to travel down because the current market environment, you know, it's been an ongoing discussion in our office, as many people can probably imagine. So let's take the time to have a quick recap at all the changes that we've had heading into 2021 and what are some of the challenges that lie ahead. So we have a new president in office. Right. We have new regulations that are being put into place. We have a country and a world that is hopefully coming out of a pandemic, but we're not quite there yet. We have stimulus checks that have already gotten here and probably some more on the way. And then we have this looming possibility of inflation and then also very high valuations in the stock market. So, Ron, man, is there anything else that you would add as a challenge that investors face Heading into 2021. Well, that's plenty. I mean, yeah. that's uh, that's <laughs> that's uh, that's a lot of hurdles to, to clear here, and using another sport. But mm. uh, that uh, that's that's a lot to deal with. But here again, things are starting to be uh, to resemble uh, uh, the original look of the country, and mm. and people are starting to fight their way through. And there's some uh, there's some things. I think there are some green shoots that are out there and things I think are, are starting to look a whole lot more positive as we get this, uh, this virus, uh, out of, uh, you know, under control and, and we can, we can see our way clear. And actually I think we can, 
we can recover very quickly once we get to get the pandemic behind us or at least through it. So yeah, one of the other one of the other directions that I think investors can at least look or consider is looking out globally, looking out amongst right. the world and into the emerging markets. We actually did a, a previous show on that. If you just search the journey mindset and trying to get a better idea for you know if we're going to have all these challenges here domestically, is it better to look internationally or globally? And if so, what is that going to look like? And you know by no means is this every factor that's at play in our economy, but we do think that these are the major ones. Uh, And so with all that being said, the question that's on investors' minds is, what do we do now? And according to Alston, he likes to look at companies that he considers to be midfielders. And the characteristic of a midfielder company includes that they are relevant in today's day and age. They are more well-established than some of the other companies that had success in 2020, if we think back I mean, we had all these work from home stocks that were getting these, uh, you know, stock price appreciation to a point that we hadn't seen in a a 20 year period of time. Alston thinks in 2021, we need to be looking at companies that he believes have been here for a little bit longer than just that short run up. The second thing that he looks for in a midfielder company is that they're built by innovation and that you see them not only as established, but they also have a new edge over their competition. You believe that they're going to do well over a three to five to 10 year period of time and that whatever they provide, it has to be important or essential in our lives long term. And they have to have a connection between the physical world that we live in and the digital world that we live in that we've all grown accustomed to. So, Ron, how do you envision Alston's explanation of what a midfielder company looks like? I think he's, uh, you know, it it comes down to semantics. But, you know, the old saying, a rose, you know, by any other name is just as sweet. And (laughs) and I think what he's outlining are are companies that you look for that, uh, that are relevant in today's life. I mean... Let's face facts. You could have a buggy whip company and you could make the finest buggy whip in the world. But if it's not relevant to the world that uh, people are living in today, it just really isn't. And I think what he's saying is 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 look for those companies that uh, produce uh, a product or offer a service that's relevant and people need today. And I think it's it's uh, I think he's spot on. Yeah. And a quick way to sum up, uh, you know, some of the companies is that they probably don't have these crazy high multiples that we're seeing with a lot of the growth companies that were massive success right. stories. Uh, and let's get a, a, a better idea to give us some perspective. The S&P 500 is currently trading at a P.E. multiple of 40 times earnings, where the historic average of the S&P 500 is a, is around 16 times earnings. But the very tricky situation is that there are very few other options of places to go with your investments on the equity side to outpace inflation because the bond market is in such a different place than it was the last time the multiples multiples were this high. And according to macrotrends.net, the last time that the PE multiples were this high, the 10-year treasury bond was close to 6% in 2000, so at least was a place to be able to try to look towards. And then it was closer to 4% in 2008 and 2009, still a regional place to to try to go to keep pace with inflation compared to today, where the treasury, treasury yield is still a good amount under 2%. And I believe believe as of today, it's at 1.72% as of this recording. So many investors are forced to look towards the equity side of investments because they are receiving less than 2% on the 10-year treasury, which is not enough to keep up with the pace of inflation. 
So, Ron, what do you think about that that dynamic between the bond market right now and the equity market that is probably causing investors to stay on the equity side much longer than usual? Well, that's uh, that's been an ongoing challenge for the simple reason that interest rates have been arbitrarily so low for so long. Now, having said that, the 10-year Treasury just recently, I mean, they were considerably lower than they are yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, this has been, if you, if, and I hate to call it this, but one and a half to 1.75% on the 10 year is a, is been a spike in interest rates. Yeah. You can believe that, but yeah. uh, that's really what it comes down to. I think it's a little bit unfortunate that investors don't have uh, a bond component or a, a place where interest rates are slightly better and that it could... I, I'm a person who, uh, you know, p- some people go to the grocery store and they get frustrated by the number of types of cereal that you can buy. And I just absolutely <laughs> love that because I'm a person who loves choice. I like choice. And I think what we've done is, and, and we haven't done it, but the market has done this. It's forced people to stay in equities and stay in invested in stocks and, and mutual funds in the market that probably arbitrarily just wouldn't be there yeah. if they had a a bond component or a choice in uh, in some fixed income product. It just the fact of the matter is it just doesn't exist. The yeah. interest rates are so low and have been so low for so long that uh, it's forcing people to stay in the equity side. Yeah, and and I it's an ongoing discussion. It's a daily uh, search on our end to be able to look at different corners of the market and try to get a better feel for okay, you know, sure. what is what is not so super highly valued. What is something that you can still get some good growth out of, but not going to be that's not going to put, you know, investors in, in too risky of a situation. And it's it's a challenge. It's a big time challenge. Well, it certainly is. And you know, the thing that we've 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 I think we've been diligent in, in this serv- uh, financial services industry is we've educated people to the point, uh, and, and I think it's starting to starting to work. People now understand that inflation is a very, very, uh, it can be very aggressive. And, you know, with the interest rates the way they are, particularly bond and fixed rates uh, are so low that uh, they know that they need to stay in the market uh, to get above the inflation factor, which the government yeah. will typically tell you is about 3% a year. But uh, I, I can tell you that I think most American housewives would tell you that's considerably more than that. For the <laughs> simple reason that they're the ones who know the price and the uh, always always the price is going up on food products and clothing products and everything else that uh, as uh, as human beings we need to have. And that's there's no secret about it. But that's what's pushed the price to earnings multiples up on so many yeah. of these companies is because it's. Uh, uh, I, I think the term that most people will understand is stocks many times right now are oversold. I mean, it's uh, it, it just it just are. And that's why you have, you know, 40 times earnings where it should be around 16 to 20 times yeah. earnings. So to conclude our explanation of midfielder companies that Alston is looking for, they are very relevant in today's day and age. They are trading at a reasonable multiple compared to the S&P 500 and their peers. They are built by innovation and have a competitive advantage over their competition. They have to be an essential company going forward. I really like that one. When you think about your investments, is this company essential sure. going forward? And then lastly, you can think of them as a company that plays both offense and defense. Ron, any last thoughts on these midfielder companies that we mentioned today? Well, I like the analogy of, uh, the, 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 in the greater sense, the soccer analogy, and I like I like what he's outlining when he says uh, midfielder companies. I, 
I think that's uh, 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 appropriate, and I think it makes a good amount of sense. But I think I also agree with what he says uh, a midfielder company ought to be. I think good and smart companies are always playing offense and growing and growing the company, but also they they do they do uh, they they run their companies in ways that they can be somewhat defensive if if the market are uh, should turn against them. And I yeah. think that's just uh, the market of a good, a mark of a good company is to those that play, certainly play offense because that's where you score the points. But <laughs> it, uh, it's uh, as uh, an old coach of mine used to say, it's bad luck to be behind at the end of the game. So you want to, <laughs> you want to play some defense too. And that's what good companies do. And just a reminder, you're listening to the journey mindset podcast, and you can reach out to us at 636-239-5000, or you can also connect with us at the journeymindset.com. And the last two categories that we're going to look at today are companies that pay, play a little bit of offense and companies that play a little bit of defense. And so Alston says that he likes to allocate his portfolio in such a way that 20% goes towards offense and 20% goes towards defense. So looking at the offensive side, breaking this down a little bit further, there's an acronym for some of the very well-known tech companies out there, and it is F-A-A-N-G, FANG, and that's Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. That's a well-known uh, acronym that's used for these companies, and that's not an investment recommendation for them. This is just yeah. what, uh, what Austin spoke on. So if we're going to play a little bit of offense in our portfolio, Austin looks to invest about 20% of his investments in that tech, you know, high-tech growth sector, right. even though he knows that the multiples are very highly valued. And one of the trickier things that we learn about great companies is that they actually tend to be highly overvalued almost over their entire growth cycle or over their lifespan, especially, you know, uh, the, the really high growth companies. Mm -hmm. And so where one investment analyst might say they're extremely overvalued, another investment analyst might argue that they're right in line with where the other growth companies have been over the past 25 right. years. So Ron, how do you like that uh, strategy of allocating 20% of the portfolio towards some of those higher growth companies? Well, I think it makes great sense. I mean, it's uh, here again, it's it's taking a slow and steady approach to your investment portfolio. Mm. Uh, everybody that, not everybody, that's a general term, shouldn't be used, but most of the time when you have an investor, there, there should be a core holding, uh, and that has to be based on uh, what their investment philosophy is and how how long they can be invested in the market, but you have your core holding, and then you also add uh, uh, other companies or other sectors that to the tune of about 20%. You should never let things get totally overweighted in one sector. It's uh, it's uh, some, many times, not always, but many times, it's the beginning of a disaster when you when you have uh, too much of one one sector. It's just not healthy. And I think the place that investors found themselves in after a year like last year, if you had some exposure to those high growth companies, was that their portfolio positions, I mean, shoot, they may have gone up, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent sure. to a way bigger, uh, you know, allocation in their portfolio. And when you look at what Alston is doing right here, he's saying, all right, let's take these, let's rebalance them back rebalance out. Rebalance is the right word. Because you can just as easily, you know, see the downside of those big time gains. And we've already seen a little bit on that high tech sector side this year. So having that 20% uh, allocation, not only are you still getting some exposure to get some growth from that industry, but if you see a downturn, it still puts you in one of the wisest places possible. It does, Sean. And the other thing that rebalancing does, and, and, and people sometimes miss it, miss this, but that's an opportunity to take profit when you have yeah. bought something and it's 
and you want to keep it in check at about a 20% portion of your portfolio, and it grows beyond that, it actually forces you to liquidate some of that and take a profit. Hmm. And that's uh, something that uh, people have a tendency to miss. They, they fall in love with these companies, and there's certainly nothing wrong with, with liking what you own. But at some point in time, you have to rebalance, and that gives you an opportunity to sell portions of it and take profits and go into other sectors. And that's a very, very, very important part of man- money management today. And I like that. And I think the other interesting note that people need to consider is that there is a time horizon component to this as well. Yes, there is. You know, if you're a younger investor, you may have a portfolio that might have more of a 30 to 35% allocation sure. towards those high growth stocks. And if you're somebody that's closer to retirement, you may not be comfortable at that 20%. Uh, allocation in your portfolio. So each of these are different, but I do think from a template standpoint, this is a great place to start when looking at investments in 2021. The fundamentals are strong and that's yeah. uh, and that's uh, what he's pointing out here. And the last area of the portfolio that we're going to look at is the 20% defensive position that Alston said that he also likes to take. So given today's current market environment, these companies may only be returning investors close to an 8% clip per year, but Alston is totally fine given the construction of the portfolio. And these are usually much bigger, well-established companies that have a track record of paying out a consistent dividend, which as investors mature in their investing career and as assets grow bigger, this can eventually become a bigger part of their investment strategy if that fits their risk tolerance. And some characteristics of a defensive company would include having a beta of lower than one. And to remind our listeners, any company that has a beta lower than one means that the company has a lower volatility or price swings than the overall market will have. So it's going to be a smoother ride, hypothetically. And a beta of one means that the investment tends to move with the market. And these investments don't tend to generate as high of returns as those high growth companies over a long period of time. And they, but they also have the possibility of protecting your downside during a downturn or during a recession. And as we stated earlier, they tend to pay out a dividend. So Ron, what comes to mind for you when you think of a defensive company? Well, I think of companies that uh, most, uh, most human beings have to have consumer staples, I guess, comes to mind for the simple reason that, mm. you know, people have to eat and they have to, they have to wear clothing. Uh, there's a number of, uh, of uh, companies and, and industries that, that fit that description. But what it is safe to say, I think, is that uh, those are companies that... Uh, you know, short of the world coming to an end, those companies are going to continue to survive and thrive for the simple reason they produce a product that helps a human being to uh, survive and to live and to thrive. And I think that's that's a pretty basic uh, explanation of it there. And I do like looking at some of those discount companies too. You know, people that are always trying to catch a deal, whether it's on clothes or it's on food or it's on little gifts or this or that. Some of those uh, companies, you know, tend to do pretty well during a time, like you know, like a downturn sure. because you got to get your stuff from somewhere. Yeah, you know, yeah. you got to be able to go somewhere too. Yes. And then even when times are good, they're intriguing as well too because people always like to save money. You know, people always like to feel like they're catching a deal. Uh, so that particular basket of companies, when I'm uh, looking at particular investment, uh, you know, allocations or situations, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, those make a lot of sense during a downturn, but they also, you know, make sense to have as a as a portion of your portfolio going forward. 
uh, pretty much at any time. You know, I think they can be a, be a good allocation. They they can, and and uh, we've we've had times uh, out of this office, not just this office, but the overall market was just bad enough, and it was bad long enough, and. and there are not a lot of people. Uh, some investors remember those days, but there, the market had, wasn't always the way it was today. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. But there were long, extended periods of time when the market just didn't give a, a, a an investor much growth. Hmm. And it was in those times that we used uh, uh, electrical utilities or utility companies for the simple reason that uh, electricity is no longer a luxury; it's a necessity for yeah. people. Hmm. And uh, in our area, you always got that uh, little cardboard bill from Ameren or Union Electric, as it was called. <laughs> and it was in a tremendous, uh, I mean, utilities can, can typically be good dividend-paying stocks. And here again, this is not a recommendation. It's just a statement of fact that through those times, those defensive companies and those consumer staples uh, helped to build a little value and some income into portfolios where the market just was not in a situation where it gave any return at all. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man. Some of the sectors of this economy that are labeled as defensive are utilities and consumer staples and then also healthcare companies that have been around for quite a long period of time. So to conclude our show today, we talked about number one, forwards or offensive companies. Number two, defenders or defensive company. And number three, the one that we talked about most at the beginning, midfielders are companies that have the ability to play both offense and defense. And as some investors might consider this to be more of a balanced or a valued approach to investing, Mr. Shear, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up our show today? Mr. Shear. Mr. Shear. Oh, my goodness gracious. So we've gotten to that point now. Uh, I said uh, Mr. Weidman earlier. So uh, yeah, I well, I, which you should. You know, he's, uh, he's certainly deserving uh, of, of, uh, of our respect. Uh, yeah, final thoughts. I think this has been a fun show to the, to mm. the, to the extent that it's uh, putting uh, common sense investing and the philosophies of investing in in uh, kind of a sports uh, vernacular, and I, I, I kind of like that. I, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I love soccer, and uh, I, I've never, I never played it, and it probably was never in good enough physical condition to play <laughs> soccer. But uh, uh, it's, it's fun to watch, and I've enjoyed this show, and, and I, uh, and I hope that people in the, who listen to the podcast and will uh, appreciate the fact that we uh, kind of put a different light, a little different spin on the, on uh, the fundamentals of good investing. Yeah, exactly too. And I think for me, man, you got to start somewhere. You got you if you're yeah. looking to make some investments. Some of the times, uh, the wisest moves to be made are to just sit still and do nothing through a downturn. If you've made investments correctly and, right. and be able to to hang in there. But if you are looking to put some money to work this year and you're still looking to try to get some growth, I think this was a really cool way for Austin to have put this all together for too. us. Not such high valuation, still seeing some good right. growth, being able to play some defense with it. Having those uh, those companies inside of your portfolio can be a huge help in a year like this. It's truly it truly is a common sense approach to investing, and that's uh, we need more of that. And uh, mm. uh, there's you know the easiest thing there is to do is to buy the newest and the latest and greatest, and particularly while it's hot. And uh, the secret really is is to buy those companies before they're hot <laughs> and, and and hold them and watch them grow and and uh, with full faith and confidence that they know that you know, that, that they're going to be victorious, uh, just as any good soccer team would be. And uh, that, that's, that's kind of fun. Now, it's, uh, having said that, it looks 
easy on paper. It's not always that easy. That's so true. But it does take time, and that's the thing. It's uh, there is an there is no such thing as a get quick uh, investment scheme. It if it if it does promise to be that, it is exactly that. It's a scheme. <laughs> it's a long, laborious process. It takes time and it takes commitment. And uh, for those people who uh, uh, are willing to take that time and to make that investment over the long term, they it, it definitely yields a good uh, good return. I definitely agree. So the reason for the podcast and the real heart behind all of our messages lies in the gospel. We believe that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to this world with the message of good news. And the good news is that we as humans do not need to earn our way into heaven. Instead, we need to repent of the current way that we live, living for ourselves in our own personal glory, and instead choose to invite Jesus into our lives to follow His word, what we believe to be truth. Ultimately, we believe Jesus, after living a perfect life here on earth, was put to death for no other reason other than saying He was the Son of God thus being put to death for our sins, which he knew was going to happen. Again, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is something we did nothing to earn. It was a free gift from God. We know that after Jesus died, we believe that he rose again three days later, appearing to those on earth who had deserted him before his death, ultimately ascending back into heaven. And after Jesus ascended back into heaven, we receive what Jesus called the Holy Spirit to guide our lives in decision-making. We now have the freedom to live for God, bringing glory to God as a response to the sacrifice that He made for us on the cross. And we wholeheartedly believe that we were all created to do good works, rooted in truth, what we know to be God's Word, driven by love, with this newfound freedom as a response to this good news. So as always, be sure to connect with us at thejourneymindset.com or reach out to us at our company page at cornerstone2invest.com. We always want to get to know your particular situation and to see how we can help. Big thank you for tuning in today. We love being on 99.9 KFAV.